Let's get into this word. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 20 and verse 1. Are you happy you're in God's house? I'm happy to be here. John chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In other words, it's early in the morning. It's still dark outside and Jesus is already gone because Jesus isn't afraid of the dark. Matter of fact, he does some of his greatest work in the dark. So if you're here today and you're in a dark moment in your life, I want to encourage you in something. God is not afraid of the dark. Even though the darkness comes, he's not afraid of it. He works sometimes at his best in the dark. So while it was still dark and he saw that the, she saw that the tomb had been taken away or the stone had been taken away from the tomb, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. Just so you know, every time John is writing and he says the other disciple, he's talking about him himself. It says, so they both ran together and the other disciple, listen, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. It's not a competition, John. <laughs> it's not. Now watch what happens. He says, and he stooped down and he looked in and he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been wrapped around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, watch this, <laughs> who came to the tomb first. I won the race, just in case I didn't tell you before. <laughs> it's awesome. Who came to the tomb first. When he saw, he believed, for as yet did not know that the scripture, what the scripture was saying. So what, there's, what, what the Bible's saying here is that they knew something had happened to Jesus and it looks like he's risen from the dead, but they didn't understand everything that, that it meant uh, in scripture. They didn't understand how it all connected. Now watch, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But I love this, this is our focus point. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stood down and looked in, stooped down and looked into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. <laughs> she said, and Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you seeking? She thought he was the gardener, and she said to him, Sir, if you had, have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbanite, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, she's the first witness, she's the first one to encounter the risen Lord, and she tells the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We pray over these next few moments, you would challenge us, change us in more into the image of Jesus. And if there's someone here today, and they're searching or they're seeking, 
Maybe there's someone here today and they don't even believe, but they're here because they've been dragged in and it's Easter and you're going to church with me, bless God. Whoever's here today, I pray that your word would speak directly to them and meet them at their point of need. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. One of the first things I notice about this story as everything is happening, the Bible tells us that when John and Peter first get there, John, the Bible says in verse 5, it says, he stooped down and he looked in and he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. And then the next verse, verse 6, says that Peter went in and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head. And one of the first things that I notice as I, as I study this chapter is that they both saw, but they both saw in two unique ways. In verse 5, when it uses the word saw, that John saw, it's using the Greek word there, blepo. And that word means just to look at. It means to look at. But in verse 6, when the Bible says that Peter looked in, he went in and he saw, it's a different word there. It's the word that we get the word theory from. Or to theorize. It means that he observed intently looking for an explanation. In other words, he was reasoning all of this in his mind. One of the things that you need to understand about Christianity, if you're here today and you're wondering what all the fuss is about on Easter, and you're wondering why all these people have gotten together to celebrate this risen Savior, one of the things people think about us is that we lack reason. Or Christians are just not smart. Or they've just given up on logic and facts and truth. And it's just all about this mystical faith. Can I tell you, we're not dealing with unicorns. This isn't Greek mythology. The resurrection is just as much of a fact as George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. It's that real and it's that true. Peter, he's reasoning. He's trying to figure it out. He's like, okay, if... If the burial clothes are still here, then there's no way grave robbers would have done this because why would they take him out of the burial cloths? If, if it was his disciples, why would they remove the cloth and embarrass the body of the Savior? The only explanation can be is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they run off. Listen, listen to this. Tim Keller says this. He says, if your Christian faith is not shot through with all sorts of reasoning and thinking, it will never last. It is obviously, Christian faith is obviously more than reasoning and thinking, but it is never less. Our faith is based on one of the most documented facts in human history. Matter of fact, when I say my hope is in the cross and my hope is in the resurrection, I'm not hoping that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. When I speak of my hope, I'm talking about what the resurrection means for me. I'm, my hope is in the fact that the resurrection means that my sins are forgiven. My hope is in the fact that the resurrection means that I'm going to live for eternity with Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not hoping in the cross and in the resurrection happening any more than I'm hoping in. I hope World War II happened. No, it's a fact. It happened. There's enough documented proof. You don't, and, and, and people who are like, just, I, I only believe it if I see it. You didn't see World War II. You only believe it because somebody wrote it down and told you. So we're not in here today because we're just a bunch of crazy people who just have faith in this crazy mystical unicorn God. 
Cosmic Santa. We are here today because the resurrection is a fact. There had been many people come before Jesus who claimed to be the Christ. And every time they died, everybody was like, oh, well, <laughs> all right, I'm going home. But after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. And we are sitting in this room today, not because a man made a false claim, but because Jesus was who he said he was. He is the son of God. He has risen from the dead. And he holds all power in his hand. Now listen to this. If you, if you think it's just blind faith, then you don't understand scripture. John 20, 30 through 31. After this story is told, John says this. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Paul tells us, the apostle Paul, who encountered Jesus, who, who met Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him. Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, and suddenly, in a day, in a moment, converts to the very faith he was an antagonist to. Converts to it, and becomes the declarer of it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Jesus was seen by Peter, he was seen by the disciples, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. And he even said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, most of them are still alive. So if you want to know the truth, go talk to them. He said he was seen by James. He was seen by the apostles. And he says he was even seen by me. This happened. This isn't some story we get together to tell ourselves to make us feel better about the future. This happened. This happened. And this is why Easter brings so much joy to us. As a Christian, if you're here today and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and you believe in everything that this Bible says, this is joy to you. But for the seeker, this is, this is frustrating to you. It's frustrating to the seeker. It's frustrating to the agnostic. It's frustrating to the atheist because if he said what he said and then he rose from the dead, then that doesn't just make him a way to God. That makes him God. That makes him Lord. And that verifies that he is God and he is God alone. Because it's, you know, in our day and age, it seems really cool to just be a seeker. To just be a skeptic of everything. It's, it's really cool. Because you'd be like, well, I, you know, I like a little bit of what Muhammad said. I, some of that's pretty good. And I, I like a little bit, you know, Buddha, he's kind of cute. And you buy a Buddha and you put him on your shelf at your house and he said some good stuff you know enlightenment sounds good you know Plato and Socrates these were very wise men and their teachings were awesome and man even Jesus he said some stuff that's great and it could really help me be nicer it could really help me you know in my life just have a better life I, I really I really think all of this stuff is is wonderful well the the thing that's so different about Christianity is that our founder died and rose from the dead. And if he died and rose from the dead, then what that means is you cannot be neutral with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, when the, the disciples preached the resurrection of Jesus, they weren't preaching it as this idea of belief for more, there's hope for tomorrow, there's a better future. No, they were preaching it as a point of turning. A point of you can't be neutral on this. 
You have to either reject it or, or accept it. But you can't waver in this. You can't flounder in this. Because either Jesus was a crazy, psychotic man who thought he was God, or he really was God. And if he really was God, then everything he said matters. So that's, that's why the seeker said, I don't want to fully believe in the resurrection. I don't want to fully believe in Christianity. Why? Because if I fully believe in that, then I have to do something about all the stuff Jesus said. <laughs> because with every other religion, I can like it or dislike it. I can like this about Buddhism. I can like this about uh, the Muslim faith. I can dislike this. I can dislike that. But with Christianity, if he rose from the dead, then your opinion doesn't matter. By resurrecting, he verified everything he said. <laughs> so he's not just a way or a truth or some life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, <laughs> you cannot leave this place neutral on Jesus. I'm, and, and you know what it means? It means the search is over. If you're here seeking, your search is over. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 17. Paul has been preaching in Thessalonica, been preaching the gospel. Because he's preaching the gospel, people are starting to riot. This is what happens when the gospel is truly preached. Because it's so offensive that you cannot remain neutral on it. Oh, that's a good idea. No, no, it's not a good idea. It puts you at odds with yourself if you really hear it. Paul's preaching it. People start rioting. This can't, this is crazy. Well, they, they send him out of Thessalonica because they're worried he's going to get killed. And they send him to Berea. And he begins to preach in Berea. And the Bible says there in Berea that they accepted him just a little bit better. And they studied scripture to verify. Listen. It says, it says there in Acts 17 that they studied the scripture to verify what Paul was saying. Christianity is not full of a bunch of mindless idiots. Christianity is full of some of the smartest, most genius people on the planet. That's why we're not, I'm not afraid of science. I'm not afraid of discovery. There's not, a been, there's not been a scientific discovery that has ever refuted the claims of Jesus. And you're, what about evolution? What about evolution? It's a theory. It's not even fact. <laughs> Paul's preaching it. Well, eventually they get uncomfortable there. And they start rioting and disruption starts to occur. Well, they send him to Athens. And in Acts chapter 17, something incredible happens. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts chapter 17. I don't even know if I, I gave this to the guys because I, I, I'm really supposed to be kind of closing up right now. And I didn't want to give them a whole lot of scripture because that means I wouldn't be able to finish in time. But in Acts chapter 17, I think it's around verse 16. It says, now while Paul waited in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Listen, he reasoned. He's not, you just got to accept it. You just got to believe. No, he's reasoning. <laughs> so he's reasoning with them in the marketplace daily. Then certain people, philosophers, they encountered him and some said, what does this babbler Want to say, others say he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to uh, the Arab, 
Areopagus, and they said, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners were there, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Sounds like a lot of people today. Then Paul stood in the midst of, of them and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are very religious. You're very religious. I applaud you. For as I was passing through, considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. That sounds very cool, doesn't it? it sounds very smart. I'm so educated. I'm so beyond all of you believers, you silly little Christians. I worship the unknown God. Okay. And then, so what Paul says, he says, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything, since he gives life to all. He gives breath, and he is in all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined. This is what God has decided. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And also some of you have put, and also some of you, your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, the times of ignorance God overlooked. In other words, that, that period of time where you were seeking and you were trying to figure it out and God hadn't fully revealed himself and he was unknown. The times of ignorance, it's over. It has, God has overlooked it. But now... He commands all men everywhere. That's you. That's me. All men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness. Not Buddha, not Muhammad. But Jesus will judge the world in all righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by what? Raising him from the dead. They... The time of declaring ignorance is over. The search is over. Jesus has been appointed as the judge of all. Why? Because he has risen from the dead. I wonder if you'd stand with me this morning. <laughs> the search is over. That's what's frustrating to people because if the search is over... If the search is over, that means I have to surrender everything to God. But when I'm still searching, then I kind of, I'm my own God. When the search is over, I have to surrender it all to God. Can I tell you, they weren't just seeing a ghost either. When Jesus resurrected, he was not just, he was not some spirit hovering around. This was not like a show where you got to get the infrared out. Ghost hunters. Jesus was not a ghost. He resurrected bodily. Matter of fact, when he first comes into the room with the disciples, they're afraid. 
they, they think they've seen a ghost because how could, this, how could this be Jesus? And Jesus says, does a ghost have flesh and bones like I have? This is in Luke 24. Does a ghost have flesh and bones like me? Touch me. Feel me. I'm here in this room. And then, he, then it says some of them still didn't believe. So he goes, do you have anything to eat? And the Bible says they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he ate it. The ghost doesn't eat food. I watched Ghostbusters. You remember that ghost? He's trying to eat everything. He's just... And that's all fascinating. But really, to me, the most fascinating part of this story is Mary. And the reason it's fascinating is because not only does God use a woman as the first person to see him, but he uses Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, whom Luke 8 says, out of her came seven demons. If you're trying to start a new way of thinking, a new way of believing, you don't go pick, first of all, a woman in that day. Women's testimony would not even hold up in court. They were treated as second-class citizens. But not only would you not choose a woman, you wouldn't choose a woman from the psych ward. But this is the grace of God. That the most unlikely person, John and Peter, had come through and Jesus hadn't revealed himself. He waited for them to leave and he shows up to Mary. And Mary, you know he's not a ghost because Mary thought he was the gardener. Mary turns and she says they've taken him. Jesus says after the angel said, he said, why are you weeping? What's wrong with you? She said they've taken him. Do you know where they've taken him? Will you tell me so that I can get him? And then Jesus says to her, Mary. First, he called her woman. She didn't recognize him. But when he said her name, she turned because John tell us, tells us, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what your name is, but God knows what your name is this morning. And he is on Easter Sunday. He's saying your name. And it doesn't matter how bad you think you have been. It doesn't matter how far you think you have gone. It doesn't matter how many bad decisions you've made. It doesn't matter how far you think you have gone today. He's calling you by name. He's calling you by name. And then he tells her, he says, don't hang on to me. You imagine she's grabbed him. She won't let him go. He says, you got to let me go. I've not ascended yet. What he was telling her is, don't hold on to me in this form because I'm coming to you in another way. The way you're going to be able to hold on to me is I'm going to fill you with my own spirit. You know what's amazing? You know what's amazing is we've lost the tomb of Jesus. There's a lot of arguing about 
where Jesus was buried. You can go to Israel and they'll, they'll fight with you over it. Some people claim this is where it is and other people say it's over here. There's a fight over it because the tomb is inconsequential. Every other faith, they know exactly where their leader was buried because when they died, they stayed there. And in order to see them, they had to go there. But the tomb of Jesus doesn't matter because he isn't there. He's with us. It's, it's like my parents when Ricky and Rebecca went off to college and they had built this house and their rooms were upstairs and they had gotten married and stuff and they're gone and mom's upstairs walking through the bedroom because to be in the bedroom made her feel close to them because they were gone. We lost the tomb because nobody needed to go there to feel close to Jesus. Because He is with us. He's alive. And if He's alive, you can't be neutral on Him today. You have to make a decision. Will you bow your head with me this morning?